Welcome to the International Disputes Digest from CMS. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our latest podcast uh, talking today about uh, class actions and, in particular, looking at some recent developments in the Netherlands. Uh, my name is David Bridge, uh, and I'm joined here today by two of my colleagues and partners in our Dutch uh, office, uh, Leonard Burmer, who's head of the Dutch dispute resolution team. He's over 27 years of experience in litigation for major clients, uh, including leading Dutch and European financial institutions, multinationals and sovereign states. Uh, He's very experienced in European class actions on both the defence and claimant side. And I'm also joined by Bart Adrian de Reiter, who is specialised in complex international corporate and commercial litigation and arbitration, uh, including uh, multiple class actions. And he's got um, particular expertise for multinationals in defence cases. So um, welcome, Leonard. Welcome, Bart Adrian. Um, Just to set the scene, um, over the last decade, the Netherlands has been a very popular forum for international class actions against multinationals. Uh, and I've certainly noticed that companies are increasingly being confronted with um, sophisticated claims brought on a collective basis, often by uh, entities on behalf of groups of interested parties, such as consumers or investors. Uh, and they can really have a big impact on operations and reputations of the companies involved. So, um, Leonard, perhaps you could just kick off by explaining why the Dutch class action system um, is so uh, attractive for those claimants. Thank you, David. Certainly will. Um, Well, the Dutch system contains an opt-out mechanism for Dutch uh, class members and an opt-in mechanism for foreign uh, class members. Very important. There's no loser pays role yet. Uh, and a significant amount uh, uh, of international companies are vested with its European principal place or their financial holding in the Netherlands uh, because of the tax and legal conditions and the business conditions um, um, for international organizations. And that results in a significant class activity in the Netherlands against these uh, companies, so they, the, the 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 plaintiffs have a foot on the on the Dutch soil uh, against the defendants, and this particular climate has been strengthened very recently by the new Dutch Class Action Act that came into force January 1, 2020, um, and we've already seen an increasing number of international class actions in the Dutch system. Uh, including, for instance, a 5 billion claim against the US company Oracle and its Dutch holding company for privacy infringements, as well as several diesel emission class actions against the manufacturers and claims against the human rights issues. And that makes a potent cocktail of elements to start class actions in the Netherlands. Thank you, Leonard. Uh, Bart Adrian de Ruiter here. Yeah, I can add the following. Um, yeah, by comparison with other EU uh, countries, the Netherlands is a yeah, relatively liberal jurisdiction for allowing international collective claims in Dutch courts with regard to uh, Dutch holding companies as co-defendants, uh, like in the, the Steinhoff case and the Petrobas case. And additionally, uh, and that's unique, the Netherlands offers via the Dutch Act on the Collective Settlement of Mass Damage a mechanism 
for settling collective cases on a global scale and a settlement in the Netherlands can be declared universally binding for every interested party that a, a, a claim foundation purpose to represent unless a party has opted out. And such uh, collective settlements have often been used for securities or misrepresentation cases involving inter international uh, investors and well-known examples uh, include um, the Shell case in 2009, I believe the Converium case in 2012 and recently Fortis Egeas in 2018. And yeah, this, this Dutch class action climate is built on a solid foundation. Uh, yeah, the, the reputation of the Dutch judiciary um, is very good and also is the Netherlands um, an ideal form for litigation in which the defendant or its assets are not located in the Netherlands because yeah, Dutch courts judgments yeah, are widely enforceable uh, worldwide. And even last year, also several US plaintiff firms like Hausfeld and Scott and Scott uh, opened branches in the Netherlands because of this climate, because they also see uh, significant uh, activity in, uh, in this respect. So yeah, this is something companies and its officers uh, should take into account uh, yeah, that the, the, the Dutch legal territory is, uh, yeah, uh, there is a big risk for potential class actions. Thank you, uh, Bart Adrian. That's very interesting. Um, I, I wonder if we could perhaps have a look at um, the current trend in class actions. Leonard, could you give us an overview as to some of the some of the changes and the things to um, look out for? We've seen two uh, trends. One trend is basically Holland being the alternative platform or arena for US type class actions. Um, for the non-US uh, claims, so they try to navigate everything to the Netherlands in order to cover basically whole Europe, and that's consumer-related and, and share and derivative actions. But the other trend that's now coming up strongly is the increase of class actions on human rights and common interest issues, such as the climate change concerns that's now really flying off uh, in a well-known landmark and uh, of the organda case in to, uh, 2019 the dutch supreme court upheld an earlier judgment finding that reducing emissions was necessary in order for the dutch government to protect human rights and this was the first tort case to be brought against the government in relation to climate change on a human rights basis and the first successful climate justice case. And it demonstrates the liberal attitude of the Dutch courts in new concepts of class actions. It also triggers an enormous amount of controversy within basically the Dutch national uh, uh, field, but it is a trend. And what you also see is that it has already triggered follow-up litigation because, for instance, Greenpeace summoned the government uh, with a request to require more climate safeguards in government funding of Dutch airline uh, KLM in November 2020, for instance, and there are other cases um, so they're they're non-financial, but really on climate change and other common interest cases. Thank you. It, it certainly sounds like the Dutch courts have been very busy. Um, Leonard, you, you mentioned briefly uh, the new act, I think, in the Netherlands about class actions. 
Bart Adrian, can you tell us a little bit about that new piece of legislation? Yeah, thank you, David. Um, yeah, on the 1st of January 2020, uh, yeah, the, the, the Dutch Act on a Collective Action for Damages came into effect, which introduced a more uh, comprehensive and balanced system for dealing with class actions. It facilitates consumer and uh, investor claims, but also provides safeguards for companies. And this act is already in line with yeah, the proposed EU directive uh, on representative actions for the protection of the collective interest of, of consumers, um, yeah, which is now already in the final phase. Uh, so that's that, that's good. So that this act can can stay, and this this act makes uh, Netherlands a front runner in this respect in the in the class action arena, and the the new regime applies to class actions initiated on on or after the 1st of January 2020, and it relates to events that took place on or after 15 November 2016. So it's yeah, it's really interesting. Okay, great. And and can you tell us a little? bit more about the key characteristics or, or features of the new act. Thank you, David. Yeah, the, the most important change in the act is the new possibility to claim damages in a collective action. And the, the award of damages not only binds the defending company, but also the parties who suffered damages and whose interests were represented by the representative ent entity, but did not opt out. This uh, ultimum remedium is likely to create pressure for the settlement of class actions and the act should lead to a greater empowerment of the consumer and consumer organizations. Yes, and, and the, the, the act also uh, introduces safeguards for companies and their officers because it's important to note that the act has implemented a, a system to at least filter uh, frivolous or trivial claims and it also tries to organize multiple class action vehicles into one efficient case. So uh, in order to, 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 uh, to safeguard, uh, to, to, to make sure that the plaintiff companies are, are bona fide companies, um, the, the Act uh, has in, implemented a register for claims foundations and interest groups. Uh, there's an, an, an exclusive representative needs to be appointed by the court who will litigate on behalf of all the advocates and all the, the parties. And the act has a strict requirements for the claim foundation. The claim foundation needs to be transparent, needs to have uh, sufficient funds to pay the, the litigation cost if it loses. Uh, and it needs to be transparent towards the, uh, the, the initial claimants uh, and the directors of the foundations can have no financial interest in the conduct of the litigation. So um, these are some safeguards to, to, to provide a level playing field based on some negative experiences whereby the directors and officers of a, play, a plaintiff uh, claim vehicle have actually embezzled the, the proceeds of the um, settlement with the defendants. Um, there are also stricter requirements uh, that apply to the, the admissibility of a collective claim. The plaintiff must demonstrate that pursuing a class action is more efficient and effective 
than filing an individual action. And if the court finds, and it already has done so once, that individual actions are actually much more efficient to manage uh, in in litigation then um, the the claim of the uh, uh, claimant will be dismissed um, so the court really looks at the similarities of the claims the bundling of the claims the group size and the pro- uh, potential aggregation of the uh, claim value and a third and last requirement that we'd uh, like to discuss is the implementation of a so-called close connection with the the Dutch legal system. This was implemented by uh, a lobby of defendants, basically, because they wanted to avoid forum shopping into the Netherlands. Um, And and that's why the claimant need to uh, establish a connection for instance, if the major, the majority of the individuals with the, within a class are domiciled in the Netherlands, or that the defendant is domiciled in the Netherlands, and additional extraordinary circumstances indicate a sufficient relationship with the Netherlands, uh, and of course, if the events that are the basis of the claims took place in the Netherlands, that's also a very, that's also a close connection. Um, And so far, the Dutch courts have been quite liberal in accepting international claims and therefore establishing a, uh, between brackets, a a close connection with the Dutch legal system. But it is a point that the claimants need to take into account before they decide to start action in the Netherlands. Thank you. So assuming a claimant has considered all of those issues, could you explain how a case works through the system and what the phases are under the the new act certainly well there are four phases the first one is just the filing of a, the, the the writ or the subpoena uh, and you need to uh, publish it in the collective actions uh, register within uh, two days uh, so then it becomes a, a public claim that's the first uh, step. Other co- collective claimants will have the opportunity to file a, 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 a similar claim, but um, uh, within three months. Um, then you automatically move into uh, step two or phase two, the certification and the appointment of the representative. Uh, the courts will check whether the, the, the claimant meets all the admissibility requirements, whether it's transparent, whether it has sufficient funding, whether the, the, there's a governmental, the, the, gov- the, the, the government is, the, the, of the, the claimant is in place. Uh, and if there's more than one claimant, then the court will select the most suitable collective claimant to conduct the litigation as the representative of the class and of the other collective claimants. So he's the exclusive representative. How that actually works is still uh, unclear, but on paper, there's a a real, um, well, reasonable framework uh, to make uh, things happen and to push the litigation forward. So in order to facilitate the appointment of the lead claimant and to streamline the collective actions, 
all collective actions relating to the same event or a subject matter are consolidated before the court. And uh, whether the other claimants want that or not, it's, it's just going to happen. Then we move into the second part of the second phase, the first opt-in and opt-out uh, crossroads. Uh, after the appointment of the lead claimant, members of the class have the opportunity to opt-out within a period that's uh, set by the court, usually a month, it's somewhere between one and, and three months. Um, so non-Dutch uh, uh, victims and claimants who have no domicile or residence in the Netherlands, but who have allegedly suffered damage uh, as a result of the same event, will have the opportunity to opt in, unless the court orders that they should be part of the class, save where they opt out. And after opting in, they will be part of the class. Then there's the uh, third phase, and, and it, that's a, a real original phase, because the court basically will then investigate settlement options, basically prior to full-blown litigation, and it's mandatory. So the, 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 the court and all the parties involved will have to uh, conduct uh, bona fide uh, investigation into a settlement option. Um, and if settlement is reached, then it will submit it to, to the court for approval. If not, full-blown litigation starts. If there is a settlement, there will automatically be an, another opportunity for claimants to opt out. And then the fourth phase, so if there's no settlement, it's just full-blown uh, litigation um, and that nowadays happens on a tailor-made case management based uh, agreement imposed or conducted by the court and all the litigating parties. And if the court finds that the defendants are liable, the court will uh, also determine the compensation and the collective resolution of the damages and will also try to work out a scheme of the distribution of the aggregate award, um, which is sometimes quite a handful. And they usually involve expert UK or US providers in that field. And that's a long summary of the, the short four phases as far as I'm concerned. Well, that was a, a very helpful summary for me, certainly. Um, but Adrian, I wonder if I could ask how the, the new act is going so far in terms of the, the cases that you're seeing uh, coming through the courts. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's what we can see, of course, in the, in the register. Uh, this first year, we have seen 15 cases being filed in the register. And yeah, that's a significant number, uh, particularly uh, taking into account the fact that uh, out-of-court settlements are often are reached before claimants reach the registration phase. And there is also the impact of the, the COVID-19 crisis uh, kicking, uh, kicking in, which slowed down uh, the, the processes. And uh, that's also most likely the reason why there are no securities litigations or class actions this year. But we see a great variety of uh, class actions. Um, in the Netherlands, there is no limitation on 
the types of class actions. So we see all kinds of uh, class actions like uh, common interests, human rights, uh, IP infringements, enforcing consumer rights, um, privacy, GDPR infringements on behalf of consumers and uh, collective labor claims. So that's a, a quite a big variety. And um, yeah, we also saw uh, in the first year some uh, class actions against multinationals with uh, significant claims uh, for damages, just like uh, Leonard told us in the in the beginning against Oracle for a couple of billion euros, but also the diesel class actions. Okay, great. So um, that, that's that been very helpful. Can I ask you, Leonard, and then you, Bart Adrian, to um, perhaps give us some final thoughts on um, where things are going and you know what's been happening so far? One of the main things apart from the uh, from the human rights and the uh, and the, the common interest claims um, what we see uh, especially on the in in the field of the multinationals is that they have to uh, assess their exposure to and implement adequate risk management given the fact that they usually have a dutch branch within their uh, corporate organization anyway and whether that company can be uh, basically pulled in as a defendant uh, because that's that's the way uh, the plaintiff bar works and it's it's become uh, an, the claimant industry has become an, an, a professional industry we've got the the case funders we've got the plaintiff firms in the Netherlands uh, with 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 expert uh, litigate litigators so it's there and it won't ever go away so you need to prepare one of the the things that is still uh, up in the air is whether the Dutch courts will have to impose a loser pace uh, system the Dutch courts and the Dutch uh, department so far has been adamant that they do not want to impose a loser pay system but they may have to uh, because they feel that a loser pay system introduces a uh, high bar uh, for the plaintiffs to enter the litigation so um, um, the fact the the, the 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 what we what you see now is that um, there are multiple class actions conducted at the same time, for instance, in the UK and in the Netherlands or in Germany and in the Netherlands uh, against the same group of defendants. Um, and these defendants are sometimes, is our experience, a bit overwhelmed by the enormous amount of litigation that's coming their way. Uh, and they need to prepare for crisis management. That's basically my point. Prepare. Yeah, I can only agree with that, uh, Leonard. Uh, yeah, companies should be mindful of, of the Dutch class action climate. It has, has all the ingredients for more more activity in the coming years, uh, like securities uh, litigation in coming years, uh, when the COVID-19 crisis is over. And yeah, companies should put in place yeah, an adequate international risk assessment or risk management system to to take this into account, this risk of, cl uh, of class actions. Excellent. Well, thank you both very much for a very interesting discussion. Um, I've certainly learned a lot about the subject. Um, and in particular, I'm very grateful for your expert analysis. 
Um, for more information and further analysis, uh, you can check out our latest edition of the International Disputes Digest, which is available on our website, cms.law, or feel free to get in touch with any of us about this uh, matter. Join me next time for discussion with my colleagues from Romania about the launch of the new European Public Prosecutor's Office. But for now, thank you very much for listening. <laughs>